Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Niger again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Um, as always, our heartfelt appreciation to all the followers that we have and the comments and the feedback. I uh, truly appreciate this. It's been kind of a hectic week. Julie and I have been really traveling, took a few days off, um, a variety of things. So uh, hopefully get back into more of a regular schedule in the next week or so. But uh, I do try to get this podcast done because it's really the highlight of my week and something that's really taken up steam. And I thank my late father for inspiring me and encouraging me to do this, uh, never anticipating my wildest dreams that it would reach the audience that it has in globally. Um, and I appreciate your confidence and and faith in our ability, myself and Julie, to communicate our, our collective experiences and knowledge and training into such a, 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 a part of our lives that is really, um, you know, almost fused with our identity in terms of uh, we kind of live and breathe this stuff because of our passion for it. And hopefully that does come across in the podcast and uh, my conversations with people. Uh, so this is, um, I'm continuing on the trajectory of the last few podcasts, but um, rest assured, this is, not, this is not borderline hour every Sunday. Uh, but I do want to follow uh, this trajectory because it's really important that I'm, um, one, I, a lot of people have really, um, I think benefited and, and just from the comments and texts and emails and phone calls have really appreciated the perspective um, of kind of shifting from the episodes I've done before on what borderline personality disorder is to the flip side of what it is like uh, to be in a relationship with somebody with borderline personality disorder and the different strategies and techniques and interventions um, that if you are in a relationship with somebody with borderline, and again, please forgive me just for the sake of conversation. If I just refer to borderline, in no way am I uh, trying to impugn or de-stick or dehumanize uh, any individual with this specific pathology. Um, but I, uh, with a collection of my own notes and uh, uh, some guidelines from uh, the authors who wrote uh, Stop Walking on Eggshells, I want to kind of continue on what I was talking about last week about emotional blackmail. And this is really about kind of giving up your own myths and your own ideologies and your own wishful thinking if you're in a relationship with somebody with borderline personality disorder, kind of really reevaluating, you know, the logic and the justifications and all of the cognitive distortions that you as somebody in relation with somebody with borderline personality may be exhibiting. Um, so let's go through a couple of these. First one, if something is wrong, it's my fault. A very common uh, mindset that people adopt when they're in relationship with individuals that if the relationship is problematic, it has to do with me. And people with borderline are exceptionally good at convincing people of their flaws because the you know because individuals with borderline really believe that what they're saying uh, equals fact. And if you're a Seinfeld fan, uh, George Costanza tells Jerry, you know, it's not a lie if you believe it. And because borderlines are so I think not just emotionally dysregulated, but cognitively dysregulated, that they are really good. Um, you know, if you feel if you feel really good about yourself, the borderline is really good about pulling the rug out from under you. 
if you have a problem with your self-esteem in the first place, you're especially at risk for adopting this mindset that, you know, it's not you, it's not them, it's, it, it's me. And, you know, before you accept responsibility for anything or you allow yourself to be labeled, um, make sure that what the borderline individual is saying can be confirmed by others that can give you an unbiased, truthful, non-distorted perspective to just simply take at face value. Now, I'm not saying everyone with borderline is a liar, but there's a distortion of the truth. And if you're in a state of psychological survival, which many individuals with borderline personality are, there is an inclination and it almost becomes second nature as a way to navigate a very fragile and fragmented sense of self. Number two, the myth that love conquers everything, that it's beautiful if you're a thespian and you're studying Shakespeare. This is not the truth in, in dealing with, with, with psych mythology, whether this is borderline or whether this is something like bipolar or depression, whatever. Um, you know, brain research, this is, this is legitimate. Brain research shows that there are differences between individuals with, in, in the structure of the brain and individuals with people with borderline personality and individuals with, without borderline personality. So it, it re, there really is a physiological aspect to this. And specifically, there's difference in the size of brain structure, um, which is really involved in, in synthesizing memories, uh, which really takes place in the limbic system, and specifically the structures of the amygdala, and even more specifically, the hippocampus. Um, so there's a different way that memories are encoded, and this is based in research, not just based in, you know, so it legitimizes the disorder, and I think a lot of clinicians who were trained prior to 1980 are ill-advised because borderline was not a diagnosis in the DSM prior to 1980. Um, if that is you, then I would suggest that you catch up with the current data and research as opposed to the, you know, not acknowledging this as a real disorder. Um, you know, love can do wonderful things, but sometimes when we're in with, with borderline personality, it can actually worsen the situation because it, it will prevent people from setting firm limits um, and actually observing those changes. But setting those firm limits is a crucial part of, of being in a relationship with somebody with, with borderline. Um, a third myth is the borderline's behavior reflects on me and is my responsibility. Now, that is a huge burden and a task to endure for any individual. No one can control the borderline's behavior, even if it's your own child. If you know from any experience that you'll be put in an embarrassing situation, don't put yourself there. If you know that when you go to parties that your, your, your partner, your spouse, your child makes a spectacle and all eyes are on you, don't put yourself in those situations and believe that you, you have a right to say no. That is a huge, that is very empowering, and there's a huge part, and that's also ironically part of the treatment of borderline personality disorder, is helping individuals with borderline personality be able to say no. And if you go back to earlier episodes about that space that I talked about, it's just a, it's just a concept that I came up with. There's no where you can find that in the literature, just my way of explaining that space, being able to say no, and, and developing what's called distress tolerance. Um, you know, take separate cars, refuse an invitation, do, do other things, go with other friends. Um, and if the borderline is your child, know what triggers them and try to avoid those circumstances to, to make it as easy for you. Yes, it may, it may limit your life a little bit. It may, 
you know, you may miss out on, on certain things that you, you might want to do, but don't put yourself in situations where all eyes are on you and you, you, you know, assume, and we all know what assume means, we, we assume the sole responsibility for whatever egregious behaviors may or may not be transpiring. Um, the fourth miss, I must understand borderline before I can set limits. Um, you can study borderline all you want, uh, but that is not your job. That is the job of our our roles as mental health professionals. Uh, you can educate yourself on borderline. You can educate yourself on, you know, but I, I would definitely talk to whether you're in therapy or whether, you know, go to reputable sites like APA.org, uh, Mass General, the Mayo Clinic, um, National Institute of Mental Health. Um, it, it, it's... Um, you know, some people I, I've worked with, they, they, they don't want to make changes in working with borderline because they feel they have to become an expert on it. Well, I wouldn't suggest that you go and pursue a clinical degree to understand it, but I think good psychoeducation with a well-trained professional can really give you, and again, I've said this before, borderline manifests in 120 different ways, but, you know, the five and nine symptoms, I'm just using in these last episodes the framework that these uh Stop walking on eggshells, which the witch, the queen, the hermit, and the the waif, just as a way to kind of conceptualize it. Again, that is nothing clinical. It's just a heuristic and a mindset to kind of use four separate categories. Um, another one, I need or must have the borderline's love and approval. This is a this is a really common myth among individuals who are in relationships with in people with borderline personality. I mean, all of us want to be loved. All of us want to be accepted by our partners or anybody important in our lives. Um, but when you have to give up part of yourself and you lose something more than your own integrity, is it is it really worth it? And, and I think that's that's the, that's the question: is what is the price that you're willing to pay? And some people, like I said earlier, if you have a lifestyle of low self esteem, or you have dependent personality traits, or you are uh, used to a, a you know a cycle of abuse. Sometimes seeing these things for what they really are can be incredibly difficult. And this is where the cognitive distortions come in and the irrational beliefs where, you know what, it is me, it's not them. If I if I didn't say that, then he or she would have done this. Or if I would have done this, then he or she wouldn't have done that. That is a game that is it, it really is a futility, uh, an exercise of futility, because it will lead to, to basically no change except more self-loathing and more self-depreciation on the non-borderline's part. Um, the next one, um, the borderline is responsible for my happiness or unhappiness. Um, this is a, you know, I think this is, you can go across any type of relationship with or without borderline as, as you know, no one is responsible for anybody else's happiness. I think if you're in relationship with someone, uh, you know, we're, we're responsible to do the best we can to make our partners happy and be good, just take relationships, be good partners, be good spouses, be kind, be loving, but we're not responsible to make some, you know, somebody happy. And if you live, if someone's in a state of perpetual emotional turmoil and they, they feel that the rug is going to be pulled out from them at any minute and that, you know, abandonment is only a, a, a breath away, um, it's really hard for them to even, you know, to maintain a, a long-term trajectory of, of giving you a stability in a relationship. Um, another one, um, 
um, another myth is logical statements or arguments are useful tools. Um, and it takes a lot. Of it, it's kind of common sense, but work with enough people. It takes time for someone with, without borderline personality to learn that's, that simple logic does not work, um, at least initially. And, and coming to grips with this, I think, really means you have to give up some sense of control um, and focus instead on your own personal well-being, your own thoughts, and your own feelings. You know, it's very logical. Like, it, it doesn't make sense why you cut, okay? But to the borderline, it does. Um, it doesn't make sense why, you know, you have to self-medicate every time I, I go to work because you're afraid that I'm going to meet somebody else. Yeah, logically that, that makes sense, but to, to reason that out with a borderline, especially somebody who's not in therapy, not in treatment, not medicated for any possible other coexisting mood component or mood disorder, um, you know, trying to have these conversations with somebody who's in, the, in an emotionally dysregulated, cognitively dysregulated state really is an exercise, again, in futility. Uh, another one, try, try again, try the same thing again. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And I think in working with people without borderline personality disorder, there is a genuine concern and a love and a caring about the individual with this disorder. Um, but, you know, the borderline is generally going to react uh, the same way, even though the non-borderline is expecting them to react differently. If only I did this. If only I do this. And this goes back to the other myths, myths of, you know, personalizing and taking in a personal accountability that I'm responsible for their happiness. <coughs> I'm responsible for their sadness. I'm responsible for their euphoria. I'm responsible for the dysphoria, that you are the cause of all this. And no one has that much power. If you step back and think about it, no one has that much power to have that much influence in another individual's behavior with or without borderline personality disorder. All right, let's see what else my notes got. All right, another myth. Other people are being emotionally abused, not me. This is a very, very, very common mindset, especially for males in relationship with somebody with borderline. Um, emotional and verbal abuse are part of the borderline's uh, M.O., this is, this is what they do, and to, and to not label it as abuse, and to not label it for what it is, is, not, is going to do a disservice in helping you to, to, helping you to truly see what is transpiring. And again, it's not an excuse, but this is the, 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 a lot of times the abuse is abuse, but it's coming from a place of pain, and coming from a place of hurt, and coming from a place of fear. And that is our job to deal with. That's not your job to deal with. That is what we focus on. Okay? And, and you know, with, with, with work with borderline, men don't want to admit they're being emotionally abused because, because you know, our, our culture, Western culture especially, uh, I would be less of a man. And if you look at, uh, you know, domestic reports of domestic abuse, uh, significantly higher um, in terms of women reporting it, because men and I worked with men when I did you know more therapy and whether their partner was a you know had borderline or not, there is a lot of shame associated with that. Um, and they're also you know whether their children are being you know impacted, um, they don't want to admit that as well. Um, so I think we you know I I don't know what what paradigm shift needs to occur. Uh, except normalizing that, you know, individuals 
independent of your, you know, being a male or female, you, you, you have a right to be in a safe and healthy relationship. And all relationships have their issues, and then they ebb and they flow, and then you grow from that. And, you know, even research shows that arguing in relationships is actually healthy. You can kind of recalibrate things. Um, but it's, it's, I think it's really important, you know, to kind of step back and, and not say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, other people get abused, not me. That, that's more, that says more about you than it does about the individual with borderline. <coughs> another one, another myth. You can't hold borderlines accountable for their behavior. And this ties within the, the, the next myth is that I'm not angry, nor, and you shouldn't be either. Um, this goes something like, the, the, the thought goes something like this. Since, since, since borderline is a biological disorder, then no one should be angry at the borderline. Um, any more than somebody, if the borderline had cancer or some other physical illness. That, that is not true. Um, the fact that the borderline is in denial is a greater priority than the needs of the family and can make you incredibly angry. This disorder makes all people angry. Um, the fact that, it, that this has happened to someone you care about and it can make you incredibly furious, and it's okay to be in touch with that emotion. The fact that you're in the direct line of fire is, is the fallout. It is a fallout, and it is not pleasant. Um, and, you know, to tell yourself that, you know, it's your responsibility and, you know, don't be mad and, and people try to explain this to uh, family members, you know, please come over, you know, if it's her birthday. I know last time, you know, every time you come over, you know, she's yelling and screaming <coughs> or, you know, every time we go out to dinner, he makes a big deal about it and complains all the time and, you know, goes into, you know, a hissy fit and, and, and breaks down and cries and, you know, because it, this is not a self-contained disorder where it just happens within the, you know, the confines of your, your home because it's personality. This is what is being displayed, is on display for all the world to see. Um, another myth is um, I will be a victim until the borderline changes. Okay, this is, uh, this is called being a martyr. Uh, do you want to choose to live your life as a martyr? And say, I will endure whatever hell is unleashed upon me. Um, it, 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 again, it's much easier to, to give advice than, than to take it. Um, as someone who cares about somebody with borderline, um, your, whether it's your, uh, your parent, your child, your sibling, your wife, your husband, um, you've, and you, you, you've pinned your future on this person and it, you've, you've seen yourself... <clears throat> excuse me, in this, in this long-term uh, relationship. And I've mentioned this in other episodes, you know, the concept of, of memories of the future, I think is really relates to this type of myth is, uh, you know, we, we've had children and we, we envision them growing up to be uh, maybe pursuing this field, something similar that maybe I've pursued or, you know, a sibling has pursued uh, a couple. They, they, you know, picture the wedding dress and the honeymoon and the, the, the house and the car and the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids, which I've yet to figure out what a 0.5 person is. Uh, but that ideology is we, much as we, we have memories of our past, we've also have memories of our future. And when that does not come to fruition, it, it, it's very hard. And I've worked with a lot of people, again, from this perspective, that's like 
but it was supposed to turn out different. We were supposed to have kids. We were supposed to, you know, have that, that dream house down in Florida when we got older. We were supposed to, we were going to travel the world. We were, it's always, we were going to. And it, it's okay, and it's important to allow yourself to mourn things that you have created. But, but be, bear in mind, those are just fictions, and those are ideologies, and those are things uh, that can also be attained with, with someone else. Um, it doesn't mean you don't have to... Um, it doesn't mean you have to uh, abandon those those ideologies or, or just say, you know, or, you know, just take the path of least resistance and settle because settling is invariably going to lead to resentment or it's going to lead to a perpetuation and an exacerbation of any symptoms that you might be feeling. Uh, again, so the, the, these myths that we have to be the savior, that we have to take accountability, that no one should get mad, that the world should understand and let's make excuses, and it's my fault, and I have to be well-educated. These are all myths and fictions, and it's important if you're in relationship with somebody, independent of what your role is, it's important to understand, are you engaging in any of these? And I'm not saying all of these. These are just different examples that I've put both the book and my own examples from clinical experience that this is often what people say who are in relationship with somebody with borderline is almost a feeling of helplessness. And people sometimes, when they feel helpless, they just resign themselves and relegate to the position that they're in and say, I'm going to put your happiness, even though they're not happy, yeah, but I'm going to put your happiness above my own and live my life unhappy, hoping that if I'm logical and rational and stable and whatever, and I'm telling you, if, if they're not in treatment and if they're not making progress and they're not ready for treatment, this is not going to work. I'm speaking as, as practical and realistic as I can. I've said that borderline personality is treatable and curable, provided the person is actively engaged in treatment with somebody who knows how to treat this disorder and somebody is who's actively going to treatment and actually making progress and says, I'm tired of thinking, feeling, and acting this way, and they want to change. That And, and, that's, and I'll talk at a different time about you know, finding the right clinician for borderline personality because there's certain things and, and there's such a bad connotation with this. And that's why I think why I've spent so much time uh, in working with this disorder because people don't understand it. And they, 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 they think of this as this, this horrible monster. And yes, it can be, but you know what? Somebody who's horribly depressed can act this way. Somebody who is bipolar can act this way. This is a disorder filled with tremendous amount of pain. And if you step back and look and really understand the disorder... Even though it's one of the like the myth is you don't have to you don't 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 feel you have to go out and get your doctorate to be able to know how to interact with it, but and I mean let me it in the sense of it in the sense of the disorder not not the person, but you know good education and hopefully uh, I'm doing my best to kind of provide that and give some useful tools, but you know step back and realize you know you know your self worth is is important as as much as the other individual and sometimes we have to love people from afar and <clears throat> sometimes we have to hold people accountable and dealing with people with borderline that that level of accountability can sometimes be you know 
sometimes could be like okay and maybe at a very minor level and sometimes it could be like you know mount vesuvius you know erupting and you know just a path of destruction uh it, it does range a gamut and you know really it really kind of is a continuum um you know in terms of, of of severity levels and it it but again it it's important if you're in relationship to kind of step back and look at your own mindset and, 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 and the myths and the excuses and, and the cognitive distortions and the irrational beliefs, especially when, emo again, if you're stepping back from the last episode about emotional blackmail, this is what the borderline does. This is how they navigate their life. But if you draw a line in their stand, the sand, um, you are actually helping them. You are actually telling them, you know what, this behavior is no longer acceptable. Will it get worse before it gets better? Yes. Fundamental law of behavioral psychology. It will, get, it will get worse before it gets better. The threats, the intentions, the actions, they will increase. And that's when people, well, as soon as you start to acquiesce, oh, I'm not going down that route again because, oh, my God, they said they were going to cut themselves. And I'm never going to say that again. The ceiling that becomes the floor. And again, this is why it's so important that you have these individuals have to be actively engaged in treatment. But and it's also important if you're in relationship with somebody with borderline that you yourself get in treatment because of the it look you know what are the remnants and the impacts and the effects that it's had on you as a child of somebody with borderline personality, as a parent, as a sibling, as a as a spouse, as a partner. Because this daughter does affect people to a significant degree. Um, all right. So I gave you some uh, suggestions to kind of go how to navigate what I kind of talked about last week. Um, maybe we'll still continue on this journey. I, I have lists of other things, um, some of which I think I've answered for a lot of people just by his phone calls. Others, I, you know, I just can't do like 25, 30 minutes on some of the things, but I can certainly answer those questions. But we have no shortage of topics, but I, I, I really like the approach, I think, you know, and I think you guys have agreed with this, but I will, you know, there's certainly a, a, a plethora of other topics and areas, uh, psychosis being one, I think that we will revisit. Um, and I know Julie wanted to get involved with that one as well, because that's a whole other d dimension of, of psychopathology that is um, <clears throat> very, very misunderstood and incredibly complex. Um, but until next time, feel free to reach out to me at Psychology Unplugged. Uh, you can get a hold of me um, through Psychology Unplugged. You can get an email to me directly at psychologyunpluggedoutlook.com. Uh, you could follow us on Instagram at psychology underscore under, unplugged underscore. Um, you can you can contact me directly. 617-750-9411 East Coast Standard Time in the United States. Uh, I'm passionate about what we do. I hope we're making a difference. I appreciate all the comments and the feedback. Um, thank you for your patience and understanding. Um, look forward to meeting a lot of you guys. You're going to be coming out soon. And until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and I will talk to them. Thanks. Bye, guys.